0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How to Be an Anti-Racist. This um, chapter is called Body, and we'll start with the definitions, as we always do. Bodily racist, one who is perceiving certain racialized bodies as more animal-like and violent than others and bodily anti-racist, one who is humanizing, um, de-rationalizing, and individualizing nonviolent and violent behavior. And before I get into this chapter, um, just reading um, the bodily racist um, definition reminds me immediately of two athletes, two female athletes, um, um, Serena and um Sammelia Samenia, Castor Samenia from South Africa, and how um I've heard just throughout Serena's um, trick, <laughs> you know, sheer determination to be the best. I've heard, even within my own family, conversations about she has to be on steroids, she has to be all these things because her body is just so manly, and all these. All these really degrading racist things that i really i didn't agree with, but i didn't realize the depth of the um, that they were rooted in 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 white supremacy and racism um, until again, when you start learning um, just like I no longer believe that all jokes are funny um, when you start understanding the harm of these ideas and where they come from, you have a different perspective, and so as well as Samenia um, in South Africa, and and how she's been this, been used as this hmm, very disgusting um, example of blackness being a black womanhood, blackness being animalistic and 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 not natural. So those are the things that I initially, when I read this, uh, started this. This chapter on, and again, I'm gonna add this caveat: reading this book and understanding that the most, the, the majority of the people who are following along are white, is very uncomfortable for me. It is so. Just know that I'm very uncomfortable, and there are parts of this that I'm not gonna read because it feels it, it feels disgusting and voyeuristic. Um, and I've had enough white people staring and, and examining. Um, our lived experiences. So just know that it's, it's, these are touchy subjects for me. So I just have to keep moving forward. Um, And so on page 70, it starts with um, a quote from the beloved, the first quote unquote black president, Bill Clinton, in a speech from um, 1995, um, Um, Blacks must understand and acknowledge the roots of white fear in America. There is a legitimate fear of the violence that is too prevalent in our urban areas. By experience, or at least what people see in the news at night, violence for those white people too often has a black face. (sighs) History tells the same story. Violence for white people really has too often had a black face, and the consequences have landed on the black body across the span of American history. And so the note I wrote up here at the top of this, and this really just, again, I've been saying this a lot lately. um, The more I know um, the people who I admired, or at least respected, I lose a little bit more of that every time. Um, I, I used to love Bette Midler, love Bette Midler, but because of her white feminist bullshit, I just have, I am done. I just can't take that in anymore. And so the note I wrote about here is anti-black sentiment is acceptable, even from the good white folks. And then I, and an example of that is, as we talked, um, as this is quote from Clinton, but I don't see Biden or even, um 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 Bernie Sanders saying much diff anything much differently than this. Um, and so it 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 just it, it yeah, I'm just feeling some type of way. That's just me being honest. So I'm just gonna keep on reading because it's so funny that the violence of white people really has often um really has too often held a black face. Oh my God. Okay. Page 71. This is the living legacy of racist power, constructing the Black race biologically, ethnically, and presenting the Black body to the world, foremost and um, first and foremost, as a beast, as violently dangerous, as the dark embodiment of evil. Americans today see the Black body as larger, more threatening more potentially harmful, and more likely to require force to control than the seemingly sized white body, according to researchers. No wonder the black body had to be lynched by the thousands, deported by the tens of thousands, incarcerated by the millions, and segregated by the tens of millions. Page 72. What could happen based on my deepest fears mattered more than what did happen to me. I believed violence was stalking me, but in truth, I was being stalked inside my own head by racist ideas. I can speak to this because, again, I talk about how, um, although I disagree that um, Black people can be racist, I do understand that we all have by design, um, internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. And this, this, this fear really came, showed itself to me in my community. Once my father passed away, my father and I lived together for a number of years. And once he passed away, um, very well-meaning neighbors were coming by to make sure that, you know, I have these safety things in place that I want to put a floodlight in the backyard and and did I want to have these this thing and that thing and this thing and on the surface it truly is terrifying on the surface it makes you think about all the things that could go wrong and but I'm a person who does not want to live like that I don't want to live in fear because I also believe that um I believe in you know, spiritual energy, whatever you want to call it, that um, law of attraction, what I focus my attention on um, becomes more. And so I actively fought back their, their well-meaning um, suggestions about making my house some fortress. Um, I have the basic um, security measures that any homeowner will have and yet, I fought back all these other things um because I did not want to focus on what could happen to me. This is the very reason I'm not a member of my um, um, my community organization. I will, if they want people to clean the neighborhood, I'll go out and do that if they want to do a bake sale or something, I'm going to do that. But what I'm not going to do is continue to go is to go attend meetings that talk about, to have police there and talk about how dangerous things are and could be and what happened in the neighborhood over there. And I, I, I can't do that. It's also a reason why, I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit. It's also a reason why I don't watch um, um, movies or television shows that depict a bunch of Black violence, particularly those shows that... Um, that um, could happen at any moment, like Boys um, boys in the Hood and 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 set it off for movies that I was just like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna go down this, this road again. And I really, there are a lot of great movies out there um, and shows out there, very great actors production wise, but I can't um, watch them. And it's some, a tweet that I um, responded to recently, he called it inter- uh, oppression entertainment. And I was like, that is what it is. Watching those things um, causes trauma to me, and again, I am actively trying to avoid those things whenever possible. So I'm not going to invite trauma into my life if I can, if I have some control over it. So um, that was me going off into a tangent, but that was something that I've really been paying attention to, or just recognizing and, and owning that um, so much of our of the black narrative has been about our violence. And I am here along with many others to say there's so much about the black body and the black culture, the black experience that is about beauty and, and and upliftment and caring and support and love and fun and and you know and 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 play that you don't ever hear about. So let me get back to the book. Okay. So on page 73. We were unarmed, but we knew that blackness armed us, e- armed us even though we had no guns. Whiteness disarmed the cops, turned them into fearful potential victims, even when they were approaching a group of clearly un- outstrapped and anxious high school kids. Black people comprised 13% of, of the U.S. population, and yet in, ni- in 2015, black bodies accounted for at least of those killed by police, declining slightly to 24% in 2016 and 22% in 2017 and 21% in 2018, according to the Washington Post. Unarmed black bodies, which apparently looked armed to fearful officers are about twice as likely to be killed as unarmed white bodies. And this brought to my mind the Amber Geiger trial that's going on right now. And so your first homework assignment is on page 73. Unarmed black bodies, which apparently looked armed to fearful officers, are about twice as likely to be killed as unarmed white bodies. And so your assignment is, I know that you can name many unarmed black folks from the media who have been killed by police. Um, for example is Amber Geiger. Um, I want you to understand how commonplace this is by doing research within your own community to find examples of the harm slash killing of unarmed black folks. That's part one of the um, assignment because I don't want you to keep thinking that I need you to take this home. I need you to, to make this smaller. The stuff that you see on michael brown uh, sandra bland that's national Um, i want you to understand that with every national story there is a local story that has not been told and they're out there so i need you to do that research because i need you to see that it's it's more common than you think and also part two i want you to think about how is technology being created and used to facilitate this behavior this harm this killing of black folks I want you to think about how we're creating this technology and how it's being used for this purpose. Then um, uh, I I love the uh, autobiography, the autobiographic perspective of this book. It's really helpful because it really helps me walk through my own, uh, my own and unpack my own internalized white supremacy and anti-blackness. I was scared. I was as scared of the black body as the white body was was scared of me. And then on page 74, it talks about this bipartisan group of white legislators introduced the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. Um, they were um, thinking about smurfing me, the black, the Congressional Black Caucus was also thinking about smurfing me. They asked for two billion more, two billion more dollars Um t- in the act for drug treatment and 3 billion more for violent prevention when republicans called those items welfare for criminals and demanded that they be scaled back for, before the votes the democrats caved so i want you to understand this was in 1993 um at the height of the crack epidemic and when um the black caucus wanted money for treatment and violence prevention program it was welfare for criminals i need you to flip to 2019 and the opioid adi- addiction and that is a medical issue and so we're hearing all about the medical um um and and, and the pharmaceutical companies and and yes they play a part uh and yet, what this says is, is that because the opioid uh, epidemic was not about black bodies initially, the black bodies, um, because we weren't given, we're not given pain relief in the in the levels that white people are, it was a it was a, 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 a it's a medical issue for whiteness as well, rather than a criminal issue. So it's you want to rehabilitate opioid addicts, but not. Um, crack addicts back in the day so um, and it, again this is the, um, talks about Clinton and I just really just have a totally different perspective of him now um, and then on page 75 we get into um, the coming of the super predators and um, a new generation of street criminals is upon us the youngest biggest and baddest generation any society has ever known a band, my, um, my band of juvenile um, super-predators were raci- radically impulsive, brutally remorseless youngsters, including ever more pre-teenage boys who murder, assault, rape, rob, burglarize, deal deadly drugs, join gun-toting gangs, and create serious um, communal disorder. We, the black, young black um, super predators were apparently being raised with a with an unprecedented inclination towards violence in a nation that presumably did not raise white slaveholders, lynchers, mass incarcerators, police officers, corporate officials, venture capitalists, financiers, drunk drivers, and warhawks to be violent. So again, it's, it speaks to that whiteness is always the um, cast in the role of hero or victim and never a villain. Um, that is the sole domain of Blackness. Um, and then it says on 676, but crime bills have never correlated to crime- any more than fear has correlated to actual violence. We are not meant to fear suits with policies that kill. We are not meant to fear good white males with eight eight, or 15s. No, we are to fear the weary, unarmed Latinx body from Latin America. The Arab body kneeling to Allah is to be feared. The black body from hell is to be feared. Um, then at the bottom of that page, Black people are apparently responsible for calming the fears of violent cops in a way that women are supposedly responsible for calming the sexual desires of male rapists. If we don't, then we are blamed for our own assaults and our own deaths. And this is, I put down in a note, why I'm no longer responsible for white folks' feelings or comfort. And I've said this several times um, I'm no longer here to make you comfortable. I'm actually here to actively make you uncomfortable so that things can change. So just know that. Um, uh, oh, and then I like this This also part about um, Black writers on page 77. The acts of violence I saw from Smurf and, uh, Smurf and others combined with the racist ideas all around me to convince me that more violence lurked than was actually there. I believe that violence didn't, define just smurf but all the black people around me my school my neighborhood i believe it defined me that i should fear all darkness up to and including my own black body think about the fuck the, the fucked upness I don't, that's not a word but, but think about the fuck upness of fearing your own body you've been so indoctrinated in this belief of anti-blackness that you fear your own body Those of us black, those of us black writers who grew up in the inner city, city, black neighborhoods, too often recall the violence we experienced more than the nonviolence. We don't write about all the those days we were not faced with guns at our ribs. We don't retell all those days we did not fight. The days we didn't watch someone get beaten up in front of us. We became, we become exactly like the nightly news shows. If it bleeds, it leads. And our stories center on violent black bodies instead of the overwhelming majority of nonviolent black bodies. And that goes back to I said, I was jumping ahead a bit about why I don't watch certain things and I don't want to have certain conversations. I no longer want to see any videos of white people, like the recent one of the lady at um, CBS. I just know, I didn't watch it. I just know based on what people said and then her um, explanation that she was drunk, blah, blah, blah. I can't watch that. That's traumatizing uh, for me. And if in, and it goes back to a, um, a part of my pinned tweet that you have to understand that for, for some reason, well, not for some reason, I know why the reason is, but we have to be, I have to be actively harmed for whiteness to understand that I'm harmed. And I'm not going to continue to do that for you. I'm not going to continue to harm myself, put myself in And traumatizing situations that I have to deal with my own psyche just to prove that we're not having the same lived experience. Um, uh, And still on page 78, the idea that directly experienced violence is endemic and everywhere affecting everyone and even most people that black neighborhoods as a whole are more dangerous than war zones to use uh, President Trump is not a reality. It's just how um, the narrative helps support racist policies of, again, as as he pointed out, and as you know, of, you know, shithole countries, um, they're rapists and murderers. Let's treat them anyway because they're subhuman. I mean, they're here to cause harm. So we want to cut that off before we want to, you know, we're being proactive. So that's how that narrative spins. Um, on page 79. But n- not because we were black. We were all, oh. This is where he talks about um, how um, that blackness was the constant in in his community, and so that there was a disconnect. Um, Said so a study um, that sh- that the disconnect was that blackness was inherently violent, um, and he saw it in his communities. As as I've seen it in my communities, I mean, I saw it definitely as a, as a teacher that the students who were most truant, the students who were most angry, the students who were most defiant, the students who were had special ed paperwork, um, EB, um, EBD, which is uh, no. B, um, Behavior emotionally defiant um, um B-E-D. I think that's what it's called yeah I think that's the acronym um, it wasn't autism it wasn't uh dyslexia it wasn't you know um, it was it was behavior behavior defiant disorder um the those students once I really got to know them, I recognized that they had reasons to be angry they had reasons to be upset and, 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 and act out because of, they were in, most were in abject poverty, or they were in violent situations. They were being abused in some way. So there was a reason for their behaviors. Um, and many of these, particularly on Black boys, were, um, were um, quote-unquote diagnosed with um, uh, behavior oppositional disorder um, in, like, kindergarten. And they get to high school and they still have this paperwork. They still have this paperwork. It's like no one has evaluated um, beyond. It just keeps going with them. And I took it upon myself that if they were on my caseload before they graduated, we were going to work through this because this paperwork was not going to go with them. And they had to learn how to function and manage their emotions in the real world. And so what I found, found was that many of those individuals were not oppositional defiant. Um, they were just angry and, and did not know how to manage their emotions. And also, I'm gonna be honest, they realized that because they had this paperwork and that, um, that definition, that they could use it to their advantage. And so they, they leveraged what they had to get what they needed. And so he talks about how um, a study that used National Longitudinal Study of Youth Data from 1976 to 1989 found that young black males engaged in more violent crime than young white males. But when the researchers compare only employed young males of both races, the difference in violent behavior vanished. Or as the Urban Institute stated in a more recent report on long-term unemployment, communities with higher Shares of um, long term unemployment workers also tend to have higher rates of crime and violence. And this also speaks to this is a caveat, but this also speaks to what what we might see in the future. What people have been talking about when we're talking about a universal income um, and people aren't addressing it, you're going to see more of this. You're going to see more communities where unemployment is high. And violence and crime are high, or and there's a there's a correlation there. So um, and then um, sociologist Karen Parker strongly linked the growth of black-owned businesses to the reduction of black youth violence between 1990 and 2000. And so question number two is really interesting because I want I put in my notes the fear of black businesses. I need you to find examples of the fear related to the success of black businesses and communities. Um, and there are some histo- ones, historical ones where, I mean, communities were actually burned down and individuals killed because they were uh, working for their own success and their own independence. Black Wall Street, all these kinds of um Um, examples exist. There are also some modern examples and they don't have to be extreme as people being killed or, um, but I, I have some things in my mind that I'm thinking of. And I wonder if anybody is going to come up with some very today examples of examples of how fear of the success of black businesses and communities, um, keep, it keeps these, um, Racial policies in place, um, because it it shows like this. She she says strongly linked the growth of black owned businesses is reduction of black youth violence between that time. So I want you to do some research. In other words, researchers found a much stronger and clearer correlation between violent crime levels and unemployment levels, rather than between violent crime and race. And so. Um, I question four or homework four is, um, as a researcher, I have a, I see this a lot in people's conversations. There is a misuse of the terms correlation and causation. So what I want you to do is for your homework is to, what is the difference between correlation and versus causation, and how has the misuse of this terms, these terms been used to promote the ideas and beliefs of policies and, poli- of policies and policing of Black bodies? So um, correlation and causation are not the same thing. And a lot of people who think they have this research, you know, who want to bring us data they're talking about false causation. Um, I uh, one of the things that I remember distinctly, and when I challenged the the 2018 results of the Stack Overflow um, survey results, was um, the research designer said um, when when asked why hadn't more people of color completed the survey, and they um, said because of some old data that, um, it was too long. And, and I I was like, what is your, where, where are you getting that causation from? What about your data? Say it says that this is the reason that people of color aren't filling out your, um, survey. Have you looked at the fact that maybe your questions aren't relevant? Have you looked at the fact that these people are definitely not uh, overwhelmingly in your community? Have you looked at all these other things before you made the judgment? to say that the length of the survey is why black and brown people weren't um, uh, completing the survey because that narrative is racist in tone. That narrative is white supremacist at its roots because it says, it communicates to people Uh, we're too lazy to figure out this. The white people find it so important and they are so diligent and they can fill out this survey. But because of the length, black and brown people are too lazy, disinterested to fill out the survey. So we need to be careful when we we, um, uh, assign a causation um, because I actually didn't even see any correlation with what that survey said. So we need to be careful of that. So that's what I want you to do. What is the difference between correlation and causation and how is the misuse of these terms being used to promote the ideas and beliefs of policies and policing of black bodies? And then on page 80, for decades, there have been three main strategies of reducing crime in the black neighborhoods. Segregationists who consider black neighborhoods to be war zones have called for tough policing and mass incarceration of super predators. The assimilists say these super predators need tough, love, tough laws and tough love for mentors and fathers um, to civilize them back into nonviolence. Anti-racists say black people, like all people, need more higher paying jobs within their reach, especially black youngsters who have consistently had the highest rates of unemployment of any demographic, top, topping 50 percent in the mid-1990s. So I want to draw this, your attention back to the symbolist because the Assemblist does not say, no, these aren't super predators. The symbolist says, oh yeah, they're super predators, but with our tough love and our tough policies. And it's, 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 it's that slight, like, oh, because they need to be fathered because their fathers aren't there. Um, and that goes into a whole nother thing that I talked about, the myth of the absent Black fathers. Um, if you have not... Um, I think that was in one of the episodes that I already did, um, but I know it's in the hashtag called the Sing Podcast episode with Ayani, Ayani Good, A-Y-A-N-I Good. If you want to know about the myth of the black um, missing Black father and how our government actually um, created this um, entire thing. So um, the last thing is I have here is, there is no such thing as a dangerous racial group. There are, of course, dangerous individuals like Smurf. There is the violence of racism manifest in policy and policing that fears the Black body. And there is the nonviolence of anti-racism that does not fear the Black body, that fears, if anything, the violence of the racism that has been set on the Black body. So that's all I have for this week. I welcome you to again... Reach out to me with questions, comments, concerns at podcast at hashtag the scene. Um, Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag the scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at IbramX.Kendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag call the scene movement by visiting the website at hashtag call the On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.